Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control, Deccan. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We're recording on a Friday today, uh, right before we're headed into a long weekend. How are you guys doing? Any big plans? I'm going to Dragon Con with my kid for the first time this year. Dragon Con's the big... uh pop culture, comic-y, nerd festival they have every year here in Atlanta. And she's cosplaying for the first time as an anime character from a show called My Hero Academia. Oh, I've heard of this mm-hmm. through another producer here who has a cup, a, uh, a coffee cup with yeah, that, about yeah. that show. Mm-hmm. He's a big fan. I know who you're talking about. Interesting. Well, uh, I think she's going to really love that. I can imagine her thriving in that environment. I took her once a long time ago when she was a little too young to appreciate it, but we actually have full passes this time. So we're going to go to the parade Saturday morning and then spend the day there. Whoa. Awesome. I'm excited. What about you, Matt? Uh, I, You know, just doing repairs on vehicles, cutting the lawn, uh, doing dad stuff. Nice. Exciting. Exciting times, Ben. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exciting time. Oh, you're asking yes. me. Uh, I may be, I may be briefly out of town. Uh, not sure yet, but I'll update if 
there's a whole bunch of stuff in play. You know what I mean? I'm, to tell you about this weekend would be reporting on events that are still unfolding, which we don't usually like to do. But there you, there you go. But that's what we're doing today. That is what we're doing today. We are looking at an event that has been slowly unfolding, depending upon who you ask. It's been unfolding since February of this year or since the 1800s. It depends on what sort of view you want to take of history. You've probably heard about the protest in Hong Kong. Maybe you haven't read much about it or you haven't really heard it examined on your local news programs of choice, but you have probably seen the captivating, disturbing images of thousands of protesters, millions of protesters in a region home to a little over 7 million people. Uh, they're often wearing surgical masks, maybe carrying symbolic umbrellas uh, as a shield from tear gas, or maybe wearing hard hats, and they are are rebelling against what they see as threatening overreach from the mainland Chinese government. This is far from the first time Hong Kong and China have been the focus of protests and conflicts. Even in the recent past. Oh, yeah. For sure. And I've found that this story, um, as far-reaching as it is, has been getting precious little media coverage. I'm seeing it pop up in I have an iPhone and with that news app that mm -hmm. will just give you notifications of news. I've seen it several times, but generally it's just a quick video or something that's just saying, hey, here's kind of what's happening. All right. right. Bye. Right. And we have to remember that being from the U.S., we're from a place where uh, protests are a time-honored tradition, right? Of uh, the Name one big issue, just any big issue you can think of in the past 50 years, and there has probably been a protest for or against it, uh, often uh, protest both for and against the thing at the same time in the same place because we're just sort of trying to maximize our weekends, right? So Yeah, well, being, being yeah. able – I think as as a uh, group of citizens, uh, being able to speak our minds, I think, is important to us and a lot of people around the world. Uh, the right to assembly, mm -hmm. we call it here. So the interesting thing about the protest occurring today as we record this is that there appears to be more to the story, something just past the edge of what's being reported in at least the Western news, something that could be considered, dare we say it, conspiratorial. So what is going on? To answer that, we have to figure out how we got here. What what makes Hong Kong different? Here are the facts. Hong Kong. In one sentence, it is a semi-autonomous region on the coast of southern China, just east of Macau, but it has a lot of history. Yes, and we're going to get into what we mean by semi-autonomous because that does sound like a, a, a bit of a... Um, a phrase that doesn't make much sense when you're talking about state powers and, you know, local powers and all these things. But uh, as we get further down in their history, we're going to find that exact point where it becomes this. So let's jump back all the way to 1841 to really the beginnings of Hong Kong. 
Yeah, um, from 1841 to 1997, which I was very surprised by, Hong Kong was a colony of the UK, the United Kingdom, originally occupying the area during the First Opium War, which broke out when the Qing Dynasty um, of China tried to crack down on the UK's opium trade. Uh, it's an illegal opium trade, which led to huge levels of addiction across China. Right. This is something that we discussed in a previous episode, a very nasty conflict. And, you know, it's rare in war to have clear good and bad forces, unfortunately. It's it's not as common as history books would have us believe. But in this case, the Chinese government, they were pretty much the good guys. They were saying, please – stop illegally selling opium. We've made laws, we've made these treaties, etc. But despite being the good guys, they lost the first opium war. And as one of the conditions of their defeat, they signed the Treaty of Nanjing, which in which they ceded the island of Hong Kong to the British. This was not the entirety of what we know as Hong Kong today. This was the physical island, Hong Kong Island. And it's just – if you're looking at a map of Hong Kong right now, if you're looking at the whole thing, the island of Hong Kong is just to the south of where the main city of Hong Kong is. Right. right. So over the next several decades, over the next 50 years, the UK expands its control of uh, adjacent areas. They take over the Kowloon Peninsula and the Kowloon Bay. They take over what's called the New Territories. This last area, the New Territories, comprises a lot of modern Hong Kong. But wait, you might be saying, didn't Noel just mention that this lasted from 1841 to 1997. What gives? Some of us may remember the events of 1997. In 1898, way back in 1898, when the UK took control of these new territories, they didn't actually control them indefinitely. They leased them from the government of China for 99 years. Is this unusual, Ben? This this struck me as being a little bit strange, like putting a clock on it like that. It's such a long clock. It's weird. Uh, You know, property in general is a little bit weird in this part of the world. Uh, Frequently, people don't buy land. They lease it from the government. I was surprised. uh, I was alive at this time. I was surprised when... Hong Kong was given back, quote unquote, to to China uh, on July 1st, 1997. I had not heard of something like this happening, but of course, I was not an expert in the peaceful transition of power, so I, I don't know. We'll get into it, but there certainly were caveats with that, quote unquote, giving back of Hong Kong to China, correct? Yes, yeah, because as the date approached, as July 1st, 1997 approached, both the government of mainland China and the United Kingdom realized it would be cartoonishly difficult nigh impossible to separate the new territories from the rest of Hong Kong. This had become one cohesive thing. And that's when they said, okay, we have to make something work. The way that Hong Kong, the UK colony, has been existing is very different uh, in comparison to the way that the government of mainland China has been existing. That's right. So Hong Kong did get 
uh, a sort of semblance or a partial political and social autonomy under this policy called One Country, Two Systems, uh, where they became a special administrative region of China that had its autonomy in, in, to a degree and in, in, in that it had its own constitution, legal system and rights like free speech um, as well as the freedom of assembly. And if you know anything about China – you know that China at large, those things do not necessarily apply. Right, right. This happened when the two countries signed what was called the Sino-British Joint Declaration. And the weird thing is about this, it gave the residents of Hong Kong considerations and rights that other regions and other residents did not possess. There were other people and groups and uh, communities in mainland China that would love to have these rights. They didn't get them because they didn't have this unique historical situation. And this is not to say that Hong Kong was already some bright, shiny bastion of democracy. The residents of Hong Kong, the vast majority of them, could not vote and cannot vote. They cannot elect their own leaders. Instead, 1,200 people are chosen to be what's called an election committee. And those 1,200 people elect the chief executive, yeah. who's the main governmental power there. And those 1,200 people are generally influential people within the society there in Hong Kong. We're talking everyone from uh, administrators to teachers to, uh, I mean, just anything, anyone who's prominent in their field essentially may end up on that list. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the body government of China in general largely consists of representatives of different kind of commercial sectors. So there's a lot of sway by commercial interests and industry over government decisions and the way things are run. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the major uh, reasonings to create a system like that. Yeah, it's interesting. One of uh, – <laughs> I can't remember which of my professors said this, but a long time ago one of my professors was telling me that – if you wanted to make a sweeping generalization of the difference between world governments, you just had to look at the primary occupation, the primary job of most of the people in government. In the US, this professor said, most politicians are lawyers. But in other countries, in China included, uh, many of the ruling individuals are engineers. Uh, this professor and I had been drinking. I do not entirely recall uh, the rest of his argument, but I thought that was a that was an interesting little um, observation to make there. And regardless of, of how you look at it, whatever the interests of those twelve hundred members may be, they are not elected by the millions of people in Hong Kong. It's sort of like. If we were to find out uh, – like if we were to learn who our new representatives in government would be just when the headline was published, you know what I mean? Like now the representative for Atlanta in the southeast region is Paul Mission Control Deccan. There you go. It, it does – that 1200 thing does remind me of almost like an oligocratic – oligocratic, uh, I don't know what I was going to call it. Um, it's not a dictatorship or anything like that, but you do have – because you do have an executive essentially, but that executive is just appointed. I'm trying to figure out how to work oligarchy in there because it's not necessarily that because the rule is not by those 1,200 people. It's just they – is it a democratic oligarchy? 
I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's called the People's Republic of China, but I mean, the idea of a republic being that it's democratic inherently, but it, it's not really pure democracy the way we know it in the United States. It's some sort of, I don't know, hybrid kind of remix of it, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say? But at the same time, we're talking about Hong Kong, which is functioning differently in this weird little offshoot system. Right. But still, e- even though they, even though Hong Kong residents don't have the right to directly vote, we have to remember here in the U.S., we don't directly vote on bills ourselves. We vote for people, in theory, who will represent our interests if we, I guess, donate enough to their campaigns. Well, also, how is our electoral college system that much different from this, like, 1,200-member election committee? You right. know? It's a very good point. From the perspective of the mainland government, this is like if Alaska had a completely different set of laws and could do more stuff that the residents of the other 49 states just legally cannot do and would probably get arrested for doing. So I I, I think that's a, a pretty good comparison, at least to put it in perspective. And surely both sides of this arrangement, the folks of Hong Kong and the citizens of mainland China, um, the governments, et cetera, uh, must have realized that this wasn't sustainable, that you can't just go on like this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's what um, that's where we're going with that Alaska episode, because one state could not be that different. Right. This was almost an alien form of government. Over time, the mainland began to flex its muscles on Hong Kong, and most of the Hong Kong natives did not like this. As a matter of fact, since 2014, all of those chief executive elections have been predicated on a list of candidates vetted by the government in Beijing. What that means is that instead of those 1,200 people being able to choose and elect a chief executive that they were really digging, they were given a list from the mainland government and was kind of like, choose one, or you can vote for any of these following people. Yeah, and presumably those folks they put forth would have represented mainland Chinese interests. Right. There's very much a pro-Beijing contingent here. And so now many Hong Kong residents believe that China is illegally interfering in local governance, attacking the human rights they grew up with, and suppressing legal public dissent. So that gets us to where we are now. But where is that exactly? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So, here we are, 2019. What's happening now? The most recent wave of protests date back to February of 2019, uh, when Hong Kong's government proposed what's uh, known as the Fugitive Offenders and Mutual Legal Assistance in Criminal Matters Legislation Amendment Bill 2019. Don't let that amazingly sexy name fool you. This is seen as a very controversial thing, and it comes from, well, in large part, it is seen as a reaction to a couple of cases involving extradition. It it precedes some of the more um, human interest stories, but they're very much part and parcel of the protest. And when I say human interest, I don't mean like, hey, look at this cute dog that knows math. I mean human interest in the fact that People more easily digest stories when there are faces and names of individuals assigned to those stories. You can bore people to death with the most amazing policy or legislation in the world, but if you're like, oh, uh, we're not really talking about extradition, we're talking about Irma Mackinac, who lives in Indianapolis or whatever, then people can care because then it's it's easier to put someone on there. And this is a case that we were talking about briefly off air. Uh, one of the faces for the extradition controversy is a guy named Chan Tong Kai. That's right. Um, Chan Tong Kai, uh, who's 19 years old, and his girlfriend, Poon Hu Wing, who's 20, went on vacation for a Valentine's Day getaway to Taiwan and stayed in a hotel, but only one of them returned. Poon Hu Wing 
did not come back from that trip. And Chan Tong Kai later admitted to the Hong Kong police that he had strangled his girlfriend and put her body inside a suitcase and then dumped it in some bushes by a subway station in Taipei. And at first it wasn't a huge deal. It was just more of like a kind of a local regional story. Um, well, and also it's really messed up, like due to this person, whatever we have to do to this person to get justice. It was a crime of passion right. too because uh, it turned out that – the child she was carrying was not his. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it wasn't premeditated for sure. Yeah. But about a year after this, this all took place, and there were these kind of little smatterings of stories in the in the uh, the press. There, the murder was used as an impetus for the Hong Kong government to propose a new law that it would that would allow Hong Kong to transfer any suspects uh, of any crimes to uh, Taiwan or other places uh, that they currently do not have an extradition treaty with, and that, of course, includes mainland China. Yeah, and that was the thing that Ben was discussing earlier, the Fugitive Offenders and Mutual Legal Assistance in Criminal Matters Legislation Amendment Bill 2019. Oh, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the problem here is not the concept of extradition itself. Extradition is just the process through which one country sends an individual to another country when they are wanted for a crime. Right. So extradition is, in theory, the process that allows the long arm of the law to follow criminals into international waters. Right. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, people would just be killing each other, embezzling millions of dollars and disappearing, you know, like across the border to Canada, which does have an extradition uh, agreement with the U.S. So please watch out. Understood. Yeah. So watch yourself, um, especially when dealing with prescription medications and other things like that. And Carrie Lam, who is the chief executive of Hong Kong, figured that this murder, it being sort of a sensational kind of prurient crime that captured the nation's attention, figured that that would be enough to get the public behind her in, you know, this this new extradition law. And, And it turns out she was dead wrong. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit more about this extradition law because, again, Hong Kong already has a number of extradition agreements, or they did, with like 19 or 20 different countries. The U.S. is among them, so anybody who might hypothetically be planning an escape route for a crime, pick somewhere else. Uh, Hong Kong's problem instead was that this new bill expands the list of extradition countries in a way that is very – It's very loosey-goosey. It would give the chief executive of Hong Kong the ability to extradite suspects to other countries on a case-by-case basis regardless what agreement did or did not exist. So the Hong Kong protesters here are frightened and rightly disturbed by the idea that Hong Kong residents could be extradited to mainland China for – not for the kind of things that – we would ordinarily regard as criminal acts, not just murder or theft, but things like political dissent, protest, even something as small as posting Winnie the Pooh pictures on Twitter, uh, which you need a VPN to do in mainland China, but can also get you in trouble because it's anti-Xi Jinping propaganda. And some of the protesters have actually coined or referred to this whole affair as legalized kidnapping. Well, yeah, the, the 
that's certainly the fear, right? So just to break this down a little bit, we mentioned before those 1,200 people in Hong Kong who are going to elect the executive, right? In this case, it's Carrie Lam. Now, that list of people that they can choose from are generally highly pro-Beijing, right? So the the executive, if the power is given to this executive, and then there are political dissidents, and this executive can just say, hey, uh, this person is posting the poo pictures, Mm -hmm. um, that really is, you can imagine it being a fear. It isn't necessarily a fully realized threat at this moment, um, at least from what I've been reading, Mm -hmm. but it does seem like one of those things that the potential for abuse is is right in your face. And to be fair, the mainland government of China argues that this is just closing a loophole. They believe that Hong Kong is harboring hundreds of fugitives. Mm -hmm. The former security minister said over 300 fugitives who are exploiting a weakness in the one country, two systems policy to escape justice in response to these massive protests the current chief executive, Carrie Lam, suspended this legislation for the Fugitive Offenders and Mutual Legal Assistance in Criminal Matters Legislation Amendment Bill 2019. Deep breath. But she did not withdraw this bill entirely. And so critics, some of whom are members of that legislative council, uh, believe this suspension is little more than a temporary PR move. And we see this all that we see this in the US all the time, right? Especially Uh, with like oil pipelines and things mm -hmm. like that, the legislation is introduced, it gets too much press, goes away for a little bit, and then it just slides under the radar. Like the FCC and net neutrality, right? Yep. Perfect example. So People who on the Legislative Council who disagree with Carrie Lam believe mainland China is turning these screws tighter and tighter. Uh, we've got a we've got an interesting take from a council member, Alvin Jung, who who said, you know, I'm also disturbed. I'm disturbed by this extradition thing that they didn't actually withdraw the bill. And also, why won't the government open an independent inquiry into police misconduct and brutality? associated with these protests. And here again, we kind of see that human interest stuff, being able to put a face and a name to a cause. Uh, Police in Hong Kong have been accused of using tear gas and rubber bullets along with excessive force against overwhelmingly unarmed protesters. And oddly enough, we can see very similar Uh, Very similar pictures and stories spun in two completely different ways in mainland Chinese media and in Hong Kong's independent media. There's a guy who has a picture of himself pointing a shotgun at protesters. And in the mainland news, he is hailed as a national hero of the people. Uh, But then you'll see footage of some authority figures beating up a 60-year-old man, a protester who is still in his hospital gurney. Uh, and they're depicted it, as, you know, shock stormtroopers, more or less. And it looks brutal from what I've seen. So we know that the mainland government is, at the very least, not particularly sympathetic to the aims and demands of the protesters. A spokesperson for the Chinese foreign ministry, Hua Chunying, and we have to we have to note none of us speak fluent Mandarin nor Cantonese. So apologies for the mispronunciations if you are listening and your name comes up here. 
Anyway, the spokesperson says the recent protests and demonstrations in Hong Kong have turned into radical, violent behaviors that seriously violate the law, undermine security and social order in Hong Kong, and endanger local people's safety, property, and normal life. So what what that means, their perspective here is that we as the government of mainland China are just enforcing rule of law. We're not we're not the bad guys. You you all are the ones who are ultimately hurting yourselves. And why are you doing that, you know? But now we have to ask ourselves, is there more to the story? The protests are part of an ongoing event, and at the time of this recording, there is no peaceful resolution. There's there are new developments. Uh, that we'll we'll have to get to. We'll pr- we'll literally have to check on this before we wrap up the episode. People are still out in the streets. The pro democratic Hong Kong forces are still at odds with authoritarian China. But there are different things happening. At the edges of the conversation, things start to blur. How much of this narrative is true? How much of it is manufactured? And if so, by whom? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Here's where it gets crazy. Yeah, so in this case, I mean, the conspiracy theories are, uh, which which abound, aren't just coming from fringe groups and researchers. The government of mainland China itself has some official conspiratorial narratives of its own that it's alleging. Well, and it's interesting because it kind of mirrors some things that happen here in the U.S. with protests, at least some of the conspiratorial possibilities with outside groups coming in to start. (laughs) Well, well, coming in to, yeah, fund or start or foment a protest. Um, So there's there's this thought, at least, according to the, the government of mainland China, that these protests aren't real. It's not actually local people who are out there with their umbrellas on the streets uh, holding up traffic and stopping basically ev- everyday life from happening. We haven't mentioned this is hundreds of thousands of people taking to the streets. If you should, the aerial photographs are breathtaking. It's more than a, a million. So it's roughly, if you wanted to ballpark it, uh, one-seventh of the population has actively protested at some point. Wow. And, okay, so let's just get back to these rumors really fast of this conspiracy. It's not like it's just a few government officials saying something on their Twitter or something like that. There have been official statements. Uh, Government officials have argued that the protests are actually being run by some secretive group. Maybe it's a state actor. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, um, you know, a a small group within the protesters that's making the whole, like, uh, puppet mastering the whole thing. A shadowy cabal. Of? Westerners. (laughs) I mean, again, here's the the issue with this before we even get into it. Yeah. That wouldn't be so far-fetched. Say the name, though. (laughs) The name is the coolest part. Oh, the the name is the Black Hand. The Black Hand, right. Government officials in the PRC are arguing that these protests are run by a secretive Black Hand. Uh, They've blamed, they've found a specific person upon whom to place blame for this. It is a political counselor who was working as a diplomat at the U.S. consulate in Hong Kong named Julie Eda, E-A-D-E-H. In this narrative, most of the Hong Kong protesters are just people who have been woefully misled. And then a few of them are active traitors collaborating with foreign powers. CCTV, which is a great watch, in my opinion. Uh, it's China's state-run media company. They argue that Julie Eda is the behind-the-scenes black hand creating chaos in Hong Kong. And other state-run media, uh, pro-Beijing or Beijing-run stuff in Hong Kong, have called her a mysterious and low-profile expert on subversion. At this point, as cool as the name Black Hand sounds, there's no solid proof to this. But as you said, Matt, the West in general and the U.S. in particular uh, has a a certain history. Yeah, she's working as a diplomat. Come on, guys. We've heard this story before. Yeah. Someone uh, hanging out over there at the embassy that just happens to also have a C, an A, and an I somewhere within their the, right. the company for which they work. The new IT guy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Can I just point out really quick how uh, ironic it is, maybe ironic is not the right word, that uh, the state-run media company of China, uh, a country that is accused of being sort of a surveillance state, is called CCTV. Yeah. Closed uh, circuit yeah. television. That's, that's just, I just, I had to get that out there. I think that's fascinating. 
Yeah, you have to wonder if it's on purpose. I don't know. It'd be cool if it was. It'd be cool if they were that transparent about it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this, this idea of the West participating in illegal subversion is common uh, in a lot of countries because the U.S. did that stuff multiple times, multiple provable times. It's not yeah. a conspiracy theory. There are CIA assets who come in. Like I was joking earlier about the IT guy. But there yeah. are totally people who come in uh, just, you know, let's say there happen to be some increasingly tense negotiations around nuclear proliferation. And all of a sudden, there's like this new junior consular officer who has a, a crazy scary amount of clearance, clearance that yeah. the ambassador doesn't have. His trajectory is just insane, He's too. a rising star. What do you want? <laughs> right, right, right. And then we could add to that the – a little more murky practice of embedding intelligence agents in NGOs, which is not as easily proven, but yeah. that's another – that's just another common thing that a lot of other countries believe. So at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, there's an associate professor. His name is Wilson Wong. It's a very cool name. At this stage – says Wilson, it's undeniably impossible to eliminate the possibility of some form of assistance from any power or organization overseas. But he also says, look, if 1.7 million people out of more than 7 million people, the total population, are joining a protest, then how could this still be secret? How could this secret black hand thing happen? Or, you know, in, in a species where it's pretty impossible for more than three people to keep a secret. How could more than a million? I mean, that's the argument a lot of times with these kinds of conspiracy theories, right? Like, how could they keep this under wraps when so many moving parts are involved? I'll tell you how. It's not a bunch of moving parts. The black hand, if you imagine it, mm -hmm. imagine uh, a swimming pool, okay? Okay. Now, the black hand, let's imagine it's literally someone's hand. Tight. One hand going in the water pressing down hard enough and then lifting their hand out, what happens? It's displaced. Water is displaced. Water, waves go throughout that entire pool, baby. Right. So the majority of people are just riding the wave. That's what I'm saying because if you get enough people upset in a small group, those people with the connections – I'm just, I'm just putting it out there sure. that I think it would be possible to start a movement like this with a very small group of people. But but a million people isn't a small group of people. Because if you get press, mm -hmm. if you get – I mean, if you – honestly, you could work the thing. Think of it as a PR movement. If you look at it through the lens of asymmetrical warfare, information control, it isn't as crazy as it sounds. I mean, it didn't – it did not take – millions of Russian operatives to swing the needle on the last U.S. election. It, I mean, you get a lot of bang for your buck depending on how you apply it. Especially if there's a bit of a common feeling about a certain topic, right? Mm -hmm. And then you just, like I said, just move the waters enough to where everybody can feel it. I don't know. Just well, let, I mean, I think that's a really, I think that's a really spot on observation. We have to, we have to ask ourselves, which we can maybe spitball on a little bit later. We have to ask ourselves, what would the motivation of this black hand be? Were they mm. just like, I don't know, guys. Let's let's just futz with some things. Let's chaos. just live a little. Yeah, being an agent of chaos. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yolo. You know. For sure. But to your point. Matt, about a small amount of people being able to secretly affect a massive amount of change, 
we have to look at the other side of the equation, which is that there is a state-sponsored internet war occurring about uh, over this topic now. Uh, China's Communist Party is not the only group alleging conspiracy. Uh, pro-Western forces in Hong Kong, or I wouldn't say pro-Western, pro-independent uh, Hong Kong forces uh, and Western-based companies, especially tech companies, believe that the Chinese government is trying to game the system with its own informational warfare operations. They've been accused of attempting to manipulate public opinion through the use of astroturfing and the use of Twitter bots. And we have proven statements. Like the people who believe this conspiracy are Twitter and Facebook. Well, yeah. Recently, didn't Twitter just remove a whole bunch of accounts mm -hmm. uh, because of this reason in particular? Yeah, almost a thousand. They uh, put out a press release about it too. Yes, they did. And here is here's their statement. Quote, these accounts were deliberately and specifically attempting to sow political discord in Hong Kong, including undermining the legitimacy and political positions of the protest movement on the ground. Based on our intensive investigations, we have reliable evidence to support that this is a coordinated state-backed operation. Specifically, we identified large clusters of accounts behaving in a coordinated manner to amplify messages related to the Hong Kong protests. Really quick, too, just in case anyone doesn't know, because I didn't know, astroturfing is sort of like an internet equivalent of a false flag where you associate messaging with some kind of grassroots movement when it's actually – it's basically just to mask the um, identity of the purveyor of said message and make it mm -hmm. seem like, oh, this is the local vibe, this is the local opinion, but it's actually being put forth by – the big guys. And we have a whole episode on astroturfing bots and uh, oh, yeah. all that stuff with, that you can go listen to right now. With Joe McCormick. Correct. Stuff to blow your mind. Uh, also check out uh, the episode he did with us on the bicameral mind, which is totally different, but worth your time if you haven't checked it out. Yeah, yeah. So this happens in the U.S. too. We, we want to be very clear that we're not – just picking on the government of China, uh, the U.S. and different U.S. politicians, especially special interest groups they're called here, do this all the time. When you see those vague PSAs where it's uh, some like generic housewife who seems really concerned about how people have unfair opinions about butter or dairy, uh, that, that's a real example. Uh, those are, those are kind of astroturf. They're paid for by these other interests. And if you look at Twitter's statement, which is publicly available now, at least as we record this, you can see at the bottom of their statement, they have displayed images from these uh, different these different PRC-based bots or these astroturfing operations. Uh, but Twitter didn't stop there. They also tipped off their pals over at Facebook. And Facebook even, even shouts out Twitter, I believe, at some point in, the, in, their, in their press release. They say something like, following a tip from Twitter. Yeah, and they removed posts that they described as, quote, coordinated, inauthentic behavior, which is kind of what Facebook is in general. It's a lot of inauthentic behavior. Um, but this is much more pointed and specific and politically motivated. Uh, from their statement, quote, today we removed seven pages, three groups, and five Facebook accounts involved in coordinated, inauthentic behavior as part of a small network that originated in China and focused on Hong Kong. The individuals behind 
behind this campaign engaged in a number of deceptive tactics, including the use of fake accounts, some of which had been already disabled by our automated systems, to manage pages posing as news organizations, post in groups, disseminate their content, and also drive people to off-platform news sites. And there are also examples, this is outside of the quote, um, of the propaganda displayed along with this statement. There you go. Yeah, so turns out one thing that Facebook is against is uh, coordinated inauthentic behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like a flash mob to me. <laughs> coordinated inauthentic behavior. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I was joking, but to me, like when people, you know, they curate what they put out there on Facebook about their lives. To me, a lot of posts on Instagram and Facebook are coordinated, inauthentic behavior because you're trying to create an illusion of this perfect life that you, you you lead that may or may not be actually what it is. For me, it goes even further into the realm of hypocrisy because Facebook already has a clearly proven history of gaming the system. If they want something to be more in the zeitgeist, then they will just mess with the feed. Like, when's the last time you had a chronological feed on your Facebook without some kind of add-on, right, mm. or extension? They are they they coordinate this stuff already. I think they're just mad because someone else came in their sandbox and started playing with the toys that they use. Yeah, but can we can we talk yeah. about what some of the posts actually look like, though? Sure. Yeah. So I'm just going to describe one of these to you. Oh, so, because like the Twitter post, you can see in Facebook's press release, you can see yeah. examples. Yeah. Well, and and it is. It's just not something you would, I guess, expect to see when there's a big protest like this with with that large of a percentage of the population involved in the protest. Um, so it's a picture with there are there's a slide on the left, a slide on the right, and it happens four times going down. Mm-hmm. And it says things like they treated policemen headshots, they refused to show their faces, uh, they almost killed a man at airport. They took a nurse's right eye, and then it says they are the Hong Kong cockroaches. They being the protesters. Right. Yeah, so it's right. all about things like they block the train doors, but then referring to them as cockroaches. And then the post, when it's put on there, it says, see the truth. Right, and that's that's one of the English language posts. We should emphasize mm-hmm. that too mm-hmm. because they're they're posting multiple languages. So there is definitely information warfare there, and now – we have we have it. This is a high-level look at this. The situation, again, is ongoing, but both sides are claiming the other is participating in some sort of conspiracy. The uh, protesters, whether you want to call them pro-Western or you want to call them just pro-independence for Hong Kong, they say that uh, China is pulling some heavy Big Brother stuff, which to a degree is accurate. It's, it's true. Uh, but then on the mainland China side or the pro-Beijing side, they're saying that these people are just fingers on a hand or they're dancing along to strings. And really, we get to a question of precedent. There is precedent for the West to participate in this kind of um, protest mongering and this sort of illegal subversion acts culminating in coups historically, but there's also precedent for mainland government of China to practice severe information control, to secretly arrest, detain, or kidnap people, uh, to disappear them, and so on. I mean, uh, Tiananmen Square, 
Well, with all of the talk about China and, and these trade embargoes and stuff, like what would be – if we had to suss it out, what would be our benefit? What would we have to gain from fomenting any kind of fake protests to make Beijing more in control and, and remove that autonomy from Hong Kong? If there, if there is more to the story, then we do have to ask ourselves what sort of motivation the West would have. If we're, if we're saying what sort of motivation would the U.S. have, I guess you could, you could pull any amount of things out of, out of a, a spitball hat, right? Uh, but none of them really have a lot of sand. There's not one, there's not one that gives us like a ding, 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 ding moment, you know? Well, honestly, I can't imagine why anyone, at least in a, in the Western set of powers, would want to get rid of this special Hong Kong thing that they've had for so long. Like uh, a, way, a way into China that they really don't have anywhere else. Well, the idea wouldn't be that they are – the idea, if it's a Western black hand, would not be that they're trying to get rid of Hong Kong. It would be that they're trying to make Hong Kong uh, further separate from mainland China. Oh, by fomenting the protests. Right. To, but again, so that would be attempting to have this protest turn into an all-out uh, turning, uh, turning the tides and forming their own government. Essentially, that's right, what we're which thinking. Which is just not going to happen. Yeah, I don't because I, I don't see that happening, and I don't see anyone who would have the means to make this protest occur. I, I don't see them believing that that could actually happen well, without without intervention from mainland China. So this is pretty out there. And I know I've I've ridden this hobby horse to the ground, but I'm going to pick it up one more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be interesting to read the to reread the section on China in uh, Foundations of Geopolitics, yeah. which uh, has had an eerie similarity to a lot of Russian policy in the past few years, uh, because that the book does or the work does examine uh, what would happen there. So, if if for instance, uh, Russian forces are applying the same strategy of sowing discord in China that they applied so successfully here in the U.S., which is not a conspiracy theory. It really did happen. It does not matter where you fall on whichever political divide. Uh, the government of Russia played this country like an oboe or something that's easier to play than an oboe, like a ukulele or a kazoo. That's how much they played and how easily. So could it be something like that but in China? We don't know. There's no proof yet. And what we do know is that these protesters have put forth a list of demands, a pretty short kind of general list of demands. Um, one of them is to withdraw the bill uh, and for uh, Carrie Lam to step down and uh, for the government to launch an inquiry into police brutality and for folks who have been arrested to be released and also for uh, greater democratic freedoms. But we actually do have an update that um, Carrie Lam, we talked about, uh, had submitted a report to Beijing that um, took a look at these demands and decided that withdrawing this bill could help diffuse some of this political tension that's mounting and sort of diffuse some of these protests. But now uh, there's an article in Reuters that just came out today that says the Chinese central government has rejected Lam's proposal to withdraw this bill and has, quote, ordered her not to yield to any of the protesters' other demands at this time. And just in the uh, just in the interest of getting all those demands out there, they also asked for the protest to be characterized as protest 
in Chinese media, not as riots, because for months leading up to now, uh, the PRC was calling these riots rather than protests. And we know how important words can be. Just think about uh, Hurricane Katrina when it hit New Orleans and based almost entirely on their race or how their race was seen to present in media, people were called looters or scavengers. And it made a, it made a hell of a difference. These things may seem small, but they have huge effects, just like you were talking about, Matt, with ripples in the pool. And you could argue that this update sort of really shows evidence to what degree China is controlling Hong Kong and their response to this protest. Or at least attempting to. They're yeah. definitely controlling yeah, right. the chief executive, right, uh, along with the members' council. So so what do you think? I'd be really interested to hear uh, from our fellow listeners who have lived in Hong Kong or mainland China or have some experience there. Uh, is, this, is this a sea change? Is this overblown? Is there – like the big looming threat that seems pretty unlikely now at this point is direct military intervention. Yeah. Is that in the cards? Because it's in the past, uh, you know. Um, certainly hope that doesn't repeat. Well, what – I mean what should happen too? Because think about it from the perspective of mainland China. This is another – this is another piece of the country, right, uh, that has been – subject to foreign influence historically and may be seen as trying to break away. Like the – think about Tibet, right? Uh, there are all those – these largely Western-backed protests for free Tibet, right? A number of concerts and stuff like that. Ton of soft power exercise from the West, from other countries that, you know, the only thing they have in common is they're not China, there you go. So how would you see it from this perspective? And then also how would you feel if you are a Hong Kong resident? You've grown up with these rights and now they're leaving or are you being motivated by some other – some black hand? I mean something – something is afoot, right? And the question Absolutely. just becomes what do you think more is more plausible? And Noel, to your point, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious that – the government of China is not exactly exercising new tactics. This is SOP for them, right? Breaking news. Uh, Mission Control, let's lean on you real quick for uh, some sort of breaking news sound cue here. Uh, we recorded the episode that you just heard a little bit earlier, in, in a, a few days ago, and because we were recording a, something on an ongoing event, uh, we wanted to make sure that we brought the latest update to you as this episode publishes. So everything you heard us say just now about the Hong Kong protest is still more or less Correct. The big update that happened as we were going to publish today's episode was the news about the ostensible withdrawal of the extradition bill. Yeah, we very rarely do this. It is Wednesday. We publish our episodes on Wednesday, and this one is about to be live to you. And the news just came through that Carrie Lam, the, the leader there in Hong Kong that we've been discussing this episode the whole time, has officially stated that the government will withdraw the extradition bill that was uh, in place there that was one of the main reasons for the protests. And um, 
that is on it on face value a very good thing, at least for the people who are protesting, right? Sure. But but it wasn't the only demand that uh, the people had. That's correct. That's correct, Matt. There were five demands. Uh, the first demand was withdrawal of the extradition bill from the legislature. Uh, the second was to no longer characterize the protest as riots. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And the third was to release any protesters who had been arrested, later exonerate them. Then the fourth one, which turns out to be the real sticky one now, the establishment of an independent inquiry into police misbehavior and excessive use of force. And then, of course, the resignation of Carrie Lamb, along with the implementation of the vote for the Legislative Council and chief executive elections. Again, the majority of people living in Hong Kong cannot vote directly. And some might look at this as a good sign in terms of – uh, the autonomy of Hong Kong and its ability to kind of wriggle out um, from the control of mainland China and President Xi Jinping. Um, but uh, President Xi had a pretty ominous quote, uh, if you ask me, that might indicate otherwise. He said, on matters of principle, not an inch will be yielded, but on matters of tactics, there can be flexibility. Uh, and there's a New York Times piece about this that came out just yesterday, where Jean-Pierre Cabestan, who is a professor at Hong Kong Baptist University and also the author of a book called China Tomorrow, Democracy or Dictatorship, he suggested that this quote indicated that um, Lamb was actually asked to make this decision, forced even to make this call um, as a calculated move ahead of the October 1st anniversary of the People's Republic of China being established. Yeah, because it's the 70th anniversary that's going to be celebrated there. Yeah, um, just to continue citing some sources here, The Guardian had a great piece and they actually talked about four actions that Lam had proposed when she was making this announcement here to kind of quell the the people's – uh, distrust of the government and their anger, right? She uh, she was pledging to – I'm just going to quote from the article a little bit here – to follow up recommendations from that Independent Police Complaints Council to set up a platform for dialogue so people who do have complaints to speak with that board as well as inviting community leaders and experts to advise the government on social issues essentially moving forward which all like kind of speaks to what you're saying there, Noel, feels like calculated moves to make the people feel a little less angry uh, more than anything else. So one thing that's interesting is how quickly the Western media, uh, both The Guardian in the UK, New York Times in the United States, uh, that you guys quote, it, it's interesting how quickly they have covered this story and how adroitly. I was also looking at the South China Morning Post and some other um, more in-country Very good call. things, but uh, but it's a little difficult there because a lot of those have already been bought and paid for uh, either by uh, the pro-autonomy group in Hong Kong or the, <laughs> let's say it, the pro-Orwellian big brother uh, mainland Chinese government. And what we're what we're seeing here now is a very small interchange or exchange, right? A very small power conflict in a very long, large game. Everything that happens now in in terms of the, the governing powers of mainland China, everything that happens now sets a precedent, right? There is nothing that is not precedent in this arena. And this means that 
uh, Carrie Lamb, who is definitely not uh, not on everybody's top three favorite people list. Yeah, uh, this the the chief executive is taking a lot of heat, uh, such that people will say, "Well, Lamb asked to resign and was not allowed to." Right by mm. uh, the mainland government. However, when it is politically expedient for her to do so, she will step down from power. There's a little bit of a prediction here. She will step down from power, giving the mainland government the ability to say what happened here was a fault of local leadership. Mm. Right? So you can cut off the finger to save the hand, which is completely possible, right? I don't have an inside line on this. It's completely possible. And that's what we see when one of the five demands is sort of met. That's yeah. the finger on that hand. Yeah, Cabestan also was quoted in saying that the whole point of this move potentially would be to calm down moderates and weaken and isolate radicals. So wow. it's giving an inch in order to ultimately maybe take a mile. Well, and again, just to continue with these uh, less Western sources, if you jump to Al, Al Jazeera and their reporting, they're, they're mostly focusing at least in this one article here about how uh, several groups like the Civil Human Rights Front, the CHRF, which are – it's a group that's been highly active there in Hong Kong with the protests. They are vowing to continue – or at least a lot of the people are vowing to continue protesting even though this one finger has – or this one demand has been met and then the one finger perhaps will be cut off of, of the hand. Um, the people are basically saying it doesn't matter. We know – we see what you're doing. I'd also like to follow up on the black hand statement from what we previously recorded here. Yeah. Uh, Xinhua or uh, spelled – X-I-N-H-U-A, that is one of the mainland state-owned media uh, platforms, just warned that the, quote, end is coming for Hong Kong protesters about 48 hours before the bill was ostensibly withdrawn. And then also the state media blamed the West, quote, unquote, for attempting to kidnap the city. So the narrative here is still that the Western powers are interfering with domestic affairs, which is very similar to the line taken in Western China or the line taken in Tibet. Wow. Well, we're going to leave you here today uh, at the end of this episode just with knowing that it's not over, but uh, we will continue looking into it as should you, um, especially if you are interested in uh, these kinds of things. And if you are listening and you are based in Hong Kong, please do contact us. We want to hear your take on what's going on on the streets, in the field. Let us know. So write to us. Let us know what you think. You can find us on social. We are at Conspiracy Stuff in most places and on Instagram at Conspiracy Stuff Show. You guys have your own Instagrams, right? You can find me at HowNowNoelBrown. And you can find me at Ben Bolin on Instagram, at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. You can also uh, join the conversation in real time, um, usually, on our Facebook group, Here's Where It Gets Crazy. It's a lot of fun, a lot of good memes, a lot of good discussion there. Um, all you got to do is name one or all of us or uh, Paul Mission Control Deccan or just say, give us a conspiratorial-related pun. There you we'll, go. We'll let you right on in. 
Absolutely. And if you don't want to do that, you can give us a call. You might end up on the air. Tell us what you want us to cover in the future. If you have a comment about a previous episode or this episode, just call 1-833-STDWYTK. Really quick, just saw a tweet from Donald Trump from August 13th that says, Our intelligence has informed us that the Chinese government is moving troops to the border with Hong Kong. Everyone should be calm and safe. So that specter of military intervention absolutely looms large in this story. From August 13th. That's right. There you go. All right. uh, So if you don't want to do any of that stuff, but you still want to write to us or tell us something, give us a suggestion, critique us, whatever you want to do, you can write us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.